On November 17, 1989, student protesters filled the streets of Prague. It was eight days after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the same tide of freedom that had swept Berlin seemed to have come to the Czech capital. Police tried to beat back the demonstrators, hoping to tamp down the demand for freedom. But the people seemed to have grown immune to the brutality of the regime. The show of force only galvanized their resistance. Today, on Dead to Me, I talk about one revolution. The students were joined in the coming days by the Czechoslovak people of all ages. By November 20th, half a million Czechs and Slovaks filled Prague's streets and took over Wenceslas Square. The communists were forced out. By the end of 1989, Czechoslovakia was on its way to having an elected president for the first time since 1948. The events of these world-changing days would come to be known as the Velvet Revolution. But while the Velvet Revolution was over relatively quickly, it had been decades in the making. So I want to say just a word here about why this particular revolution is so important to me. My father is Czech, and... My grandfather was born in a tiny town that could almost be considered Poland. And at the time that Grandpa lived there, it was part of the Sudetenland. And he always referred to it as Bohemia. And my grandmother was from a village that's literally about 10 miles south of where Grandpa was from. And so... I've always been very interested in that part of my history because it's so visceral and so immediate that my grandfather came over, uh, I don't know, was he 11, 12, 13? He was young. And it was right up before World War I. They knew that what was coming. And they knew that even my grandpa at a young age could have been conscripted into the army. And so I just feel a very close tie to Czechoslovakia in no small part because I've been to the home where my grandpa was born and raised um, once with my husband and once with my, my dad and my mom. So when I see what's happening today in the United States, it's a long overdue revolution, and it's a long overdue revolution for black lives and for white people to get up um, off our collective privileged asses and do something. And while I recognize that the Velvet Revolution is a European revolution, and not one that's based on race like we have here. There's some similarities that I find striking and also really encouraging. So all of this that I'm going to read today is from an article I wrote for Time Magazine. I wrote this in November of 2019 because it was coming up on the 
30th anniversary of the Velvet Revolution. And when, when people lose heart, when I lose heart, when my daughter, my adult daughter might lose heart uh, watching another man, black man or black woman murdered at the hands of a militarized police, a, 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 an occupying force, which is what they've become under this administration, uh, more so than others in a very public way. When we lose heart, I think about how long it took the Czechs and all other former Eastern Bloc nations that were ceded to the USSR after World War II. It, that struggle was, was long coming. And people died, and people sacrificed themselves. But it happened. And the Czech Republic was finally liberated from their oppressors. So, so again, the events of those days um, that would become known as the Velvet Revolution were, were quickly, but that's because the dominoes were falling in Eastern Europe. It was decades in the making. And so I want to dial back just until the 1960s and the struggle against communism uh, and occupation of their country by an outside source and not being allowed the right to vote for who represented them. It was starting in January of 1968, the USSR gave the leadership of Czechoslovakia to someone new, and his name was Alexander Dubček. And Dubček had fought against the German forces in World War II, joining with the Communist Party in his country after the end of the war. And if you remember, uh, Russia was our ally, USSR was our ally, in World War II. So Dubček rose through the ranks and he served in Parliament and General Assembly as part of a new generation of Slovak communists. And compared to uh, his successor, the Stalinist Antonin Novotny, Dubček was a liberal. So when Dubček took over, within months, he, he implemented governmental and economic reforms and it allowed citizens increased freedom of speech. And, and this is critical. He, he allowed, although it was a baby step, he, he allowed um, a certain level of freedom of the press. And the people of Czechoslovakia embraced the changes. And that period of Dubček's liberalism, relative liberalism, became known as the Prague Spring. But like the spring, uh, the movement was fleeting. By August of 1968, the Soviet Union had had enough. A more liberal Czechoslovakia was a threat to the regional power and could signal weakness on the world stage. Over a half million Warsaw Pact troops invaded Czechoslovakia. Soviet tanks rolled through the narrow streets of Prague, crushing mostly student-led protest. Soviet loyalist Gustav Hushek replaced Dubček and returned the country to an authoritarian communist regime. But this is important. Something, something had fundamentally changed. That freedom, that momentary freedom of the Prague Spring had sparked something. And Time Magazine noted, actually, 
during that time period in a cover story that, quote, for once the communist and non-communist worlds and some countries that find themselves in between joined in a general condemnation of Soviet force. It went on to say, the free world is accustomed to condemning Russian inroads and intransigence from the brutal put-down of the Hungarian revolts to the erection of the Berlin Wall. In the past, most communist countries and parties have either wholeheartedly supported transgressions or at least closed their eyes to them, but no longer. Last week, in one country after another, communists found themselves on the side of the Czechoslovaks. So the following January, a Charles University student named Jan Palak entered a suicide pact with several of his fellow students. They were determined to protest the Soviet invasion and, and combat what they saw as a growing despondency among the citizens of the, the Russian takeover. And, you know, they weren't wrong. Um, Czechs fell into the familiarity of authoritarian rule, but you know, these university students in Prague, you know, they, they knew, they knew something had to be done. So on January 16th, 1969, Jan Pollock climbed the steps of the National Museum near the bustling train station on the edge of Wenceslas Square. He doused himself with gasoline and he lit a match. In his suicide note, he signed his name as Torch Number One, suggesting that more self-immolation and protests would come. And one did, a young man who became known as Torch Number Two, though he couldn't be directly tied to the suicide pact that Pollock was a part of. He did participate in the hunger strike after Pollock's death and was part of the resistance. Pollock lived for three days in hospital after sustaining burns to 85% of his body. And amazingly, he still managed to give interviews. He spoke softly, and his voice was rough and halting. And he was asked why he had done what he did. Pach replied that he wanted to voice opposition to the Soviet invasion and make people wake up. And he died three days later. It's important to note here that the communist regime did everything in its power to write off Pollock as a one-off, as a nut, as a fanatic. But in truth, the truth is more nuanced as it as it always turns out to be. He wasn't he wasn't crazy, um, but it's telling the tactics of discounting a call for revolution, no matter self-immolation or Black Lives Matter, tries to get tamped down by the oppressor. So we fast forward then to the Velvet Revolution and in the decades that followed, communist rule in Czechoslovakia continued. The resistance was forced underground but continued to grow. 
By 1989, intermittent uprisings throughout Warsaw-packed countries, the increasing militarism of Soviet governments across the region, and a slowing economic growth within the Eastern Bloc set the stage for revolution. And in neighboring Poland, uh, Lech Walesa and other workers of Lenin shipyards in the Polish city of Gdansk founded the Polish trade union, Solidarity. Strikes and nonviolent civil disobedience tactics were employed by Solidarity, and it paralyzed the Baltic seaports. And ultimately, the former Soviet Union leader, Mikhail Gorbachev, would look back later and say that it was the catastrophic 1986 nuclear accident at Chernobyl that was really the death knell of the USSR. As word of the disaster spread and the human cost that was already horrific from the limited information the USSR relied out, you know, Gorbachev said that the Soviet public no longer believed that their government was infallible. And at that point, there was no going back. In January of 1989, 20 years after Pollock's death, the clandestine resistance movement formed after the Soviets crushed the promise of the Prague Spring, planned what they called Palak Week. For the first time since Pollock's self-immolation, they would go to the place where he fell in Wenceslas Square for a public memorial and a protest against the ongoing Soviet occupation. Nearly 5,000 came out the first evening of that week, and it was an unthinkable number since the Prague Revolution because of the violence that was meted out to the Czech people. But then that set the stage for what became known as the Velvet Revolution. That autumn, after Palakwik, after a simmering year of protests in the fall of the Berlin Wall, students organized another protest, and they chose November 17th. And it was symbolic because it was a 50-year anniversary of the killings of Prague students by invading Nazi troops. And these are unarmed Prague students. So the Velvet Revolution came to be known in the English translation as a sort of soft revolution, and it signifies the idea that the revolution was brought about without violence, but it's misleading because the larger movement was not always peaceful, and in fact, oftentimes it was brutal. Soldiers beat protesters, used water cannons on crowds, and arrested scores of people. A writer named Václav Havel was arrested that night. In 1968, Havel had been in a small town outside the capital of Prague when the Soviet tanks rolled into the city. And he escaped knowing that there was something going on. And before the regime was able to shut down a private radio station where Havel was, he broadcast several speeches, and he advised his fellow citizens to engage peacefully, but to be prepared to defend themselves. And they encouraged them to remain loyal to the liberal ideals of the spring and to resist and to persist. So by the time the protest began in 1989, Havel was a well-known dissident turned leader of a coalition of opposition movements called the Civic Forum. But the government-controlled newspaper tried to paint Havel as a symbol of a supposedly failed freedom movement, and it backfired tremendously, because on November 28th, 
after constant protest, after worker strikes, just like the one in Poland, the communists announced that they would cede power, and the parliament then removed the one-party provision from Czechoslovakia's constitution. So by December of that year, Havel's name was put forward as the Civic Forum's candidate for interim president. And remarkably, two months later, in February of 1990, in a speech to a joint session of the United States Congress, Havel expressed his own disbelief that he was even nominated. Yet by that point, he stood before the body as president of Czechoslovakia all the same. So that same year, in 1990, the country had its first open and free natural So in 1990, the country had its first open and free national elections. And in that election, Havel retained his seat until the Velvet Divorce, which was the peaceful dissolution of Czechoslovakia into the Czech and Slovak republics in 1992. And he stepped down then, but ended up serving again as president of the Czech Republic from 1993 to 2003. And so this is the part that's most, I mean, it's all relevant, but, but there's so many echoes of things that we, we just haven't learned from history because after the, the velvet revolution, it was, and it is unthinkable that there would be a return to totalitarian rule in Eastern Europe. It seems impossible, but you know, extremism persists. At the commemoration of the fall of the Berlin Wall last year, Chancellor Angela Merkel cautioned against complacency. She said the values on which Europe was founded, freedom, democracy, equality, rule of law, human rights, they are anything but self-evident and that they have to be revitalized and defended time and again. So as of last year, when I wrote this article in the winter of 2019, the Czechs and Slovaks took to the streets again. The threat was no longer as overt as communist tanks, but it was a hateful, bile-filled right-wing populism. Last year, protests erupted in Slovakia after the murder of a journalist there. In June of 2018, around 200,000 Czechs flooded the streets demanding the resignation of Prime Minister Andrei Babiš. Babish, his rise to power came partly in thanks to his vow to crack down on corruption or a kind of Czech version of draining the swamp. But he had subsequently been accused of inappropriate use of EU funds, um, otherwise known as corruption. In the spring of 2019, the Czech police said that they had investigated and recommended that fraud charges be brought against him, but allies in the government declined to press any charges against Babish. And Babish lashed out at the news media, saying, as the New York Times reported, that no one should believe their lies and that he vowed to make the Czech Republic great again. So... On November 16th of 2019, crowds estimated in the hundreds of thousands were scheduled to hit the streets again to protest Babish. The student group Million Moments for Democracy organized a protest, picking the date in order to honor the beginning of the Velvet Revolution 30 years ago. 
Because as one of the organizers said, without the Velvet Revolution, we wouldn't have had the chance to try to change things.